0: Welcome to The Art of Creative Living, a podcast for heart-centered creatives and entrepreneurs who want to be true to themselves, follow their heart rather than their fears, and cultivate personal freedom, self-expression, and joy in their work and life. I'm your host, Nicola Newman, an award-winning artist, creative mentor, and business coach, writer, and founder of Flourish, The Art of Creative Living, a year-long creativity school and I'm currently cruising the east coast of Australia in a 35-foot sailboat. This podcast is for you if you're ready to be brave, follow your heart, nurture your self-belief, and bring to life what you long to create in the world. And you are listening to Episode 4 of Season 1. I'm so excited today because I get to talk with Cassie Mendoza-Jones, best-selling author, kinesiologist, business alignment coach, naturopath, writer, and speaker. We chatted about the creative process in business, movable deadlines, the importance of taking care of yourself while you create, why Cass believes writer's block and creative caves are a myth, and her practical advice for anyone wanting to pivot in their business and much more. Cass is a guest teacher in my year-long creativity school, Flourish the Art of Creative Living, and I absolutely loved recording this episode with her. I've learned so much from the way that she does business and how she completes creative projects with joy. So I'm excited to share this chat with you today. Let's jump in. Welcome, Cassie. I am so delighted to have you on the podcast. It's a real thrill, not just to get to talk to you, I'm thrilled about that, but also to share your story and your take on uh, being in business and following your heart. So thank you and welcome. Oh, Thanks so much for having me. I'm really so excited to be here. So I'd love to begin by asking you about your experience in building your business to where it is today. Perhaps could you share a little bit about yourself and your business so far?
1: Yeah, sure. So I went to university when I finished school and I had no idea what I wanted to do and I did that thing that you often do when you're 18 and 19 and you don't know what you're doing and I asked everyone around me what they thought I should do Mm -hmm. and a few people said oh you'd be so great at PR and communications and I oh I'd always loved writing so I'm like yeah amazing I'm gonna do that so I enrolled at university and I absolutely hated it (laughs) and what's so funny is that I loved school. The the final year of high school, it was one of my favorite years of school, which sounds crazy because it's such high pressure and there are so many exams and assessments, but I just loved the schedule and the structure and doing the work and all of that. And so I actually ended up deferring university in the middle of that first year. I deferred for two years, but I knew in my heart I would never go back. And Mm -hmm. I started studying a makeup course and I'd always loved makeup and and being creative, I'd, I'd always painted, my family's really arty and creative. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this just for a little bit and just see how I go and, and how, what happens. And oh no, actually, I lie, I I, in, I deferred at the end of that first year, but I enrolled in the makeup course in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. And it was a way to just keep me interested in life. Like <laughs> I just have something to do that felt fun, that didn't have like an outcome attached to it. Hmm. And at the end of that first year, I remember running down the stairs. I read one of Mia Friedman's books. I can't remember which one it was, but in the book she said how she was writing about how she hadn't finished university and she'd just gone straight into the thing she'd wanted to do, which was at the time magazines. And I held the page open and I ran down the stairs. My parents were in the kitchen and I said, mom, dad, Mia Friedman didn't go to university and she does amazing things. So I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and they took it much better than I thought they might have. Not that I had any expectations of them. You know, they're not strict or like helicopter parents, but they're like, okay, <laughs> okay. So that's when I deferred. And I ended up doing one year of makeup college in Sydney. And then I had had plans to travel to Italy and do a year of of exchange, you know, had I stayed at university. Mm
0: -hmm. So I still
1: was really craving that traveling overseas and studying things. So I ended up finding a makeup course in Toronto and I went there for six months and I studied my makeup diploma there and I came home and I worked really hard. I got an agency within a couple of years. Most people say it takes like four to five years. I got one in about 14 months from assisting makeup artists for free and doing lots of test shoots and beauty shoots and all that. Mm. and building up my portfolio and I loved the work I was doing until I didn't and it wasn't so much the makeup or the people like I loved who I worked with I loved doing makeup I just was craving something more something different and I was craving a different kind of structure in my days because what had initially really drawn me part of what had drawn me to makeup was that freelance lifestyle. So every day was different. I was always on a different shoot, different location. You know, you have a crew of models and, and photographers and people, stylists that you end up seeing often. So you create this great team of people that you love to work with, but you still don't really know what day of the week you're going to be working or with who or where. Mm. And as I reached my kind of early to mid twenties, I started to feel like I, I needed something else in my life. And then three days in a row, in the same week, I was hit with message after message after message from the universe of what my next step was. So I'd always also loved nutrition and food. And um, typical of many women in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I'd had a little bit of disordered eating and, you know, really poor body image. And I went to, I was on a shoot doing makeup on a model who was studying nutrition at this makeup college that I'd been sussing out. The next day, the model on the shoot was studying massage at the same clinic. And then on the third day, the the actual location of this, of the shoot that I was on was on the same street as this makeup, as this nutrition college. And I was like, okay, I hear you. And I enrolled, I think the next week. And what was, that was the first time I really pivoted in my career because all of a sudden, I was leaving the makeup agency that I'd worked so hard to get into
0: mm-hmm. within
1: the same year that they had offered me a spot. And if you told, you know, the me in January that, Oh, you know, next month you're going to get a call. You're going to be, you know, their first makeup artist from the new Sydney office. It's going to be amazing and exciting, but you're going to leave them by November. I would have thought, are you mad? Like, <laughs> There's no way I'm working for so many years to get to this point and then leaving. Mm. But that's what happened. So mm. I studied nutrition, naturopathy. Then later on, one, once I'd opened my business, I added in kinesiology. I'd always loved writing. So I was always writing ebooks and e courses. And I went to the Hay House Writers' Workshop in 2014. And I won the book deal then for You Are Enough, which was my first book. And then It's All Good came out the year after that. And then my third book is coming out next year at some stage after my baby comes out. <laughs> and, yes, yeah, so that's a long slash short version of where I'm at now.
0: I just love that story, how you've allowed yourself to keep following what has interested you in the different seasons of your life and kind of added more and more strings to your bow along the way.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I I, also, I did it again with when I added in kinesiology. Actually, I forgot to say because from nutrition and naturopathy, a lot of that was very, you know, I was looking at people's physical health as well as their mental and emotional health. But a lot of the time, it, it was more physical based. And as soon as I added in kinesiology, which is what I knew I was going to do for years, I just had to wait for the right timing. I my business shifted and pivoted again, so I was doing a lot more mental and emotional health and wellness work and energy alignment and then it it continued to shift and evolve to add in a lot more creativity work and working with women who are running their own businesses or creating something you know outside of the general kind of corporate world um so yeah running their own businesses or working towards something that feels really meaningful to them so there's a lot of business alignment coaching that goes into most of my one-on-one work now, and then that filters through into most of my programs as well. And that was a huge shift um, on paper, not really in reality, Mm -hmm. but from how I started with nutrition and naturopathy.
0: Mm. And, you know, it was actually you, Cassie, who helped me to – Um, I was watching your free workshop that you give away on on your beautiful website that you have and you you were talking through about this process of pivoting and just calling how to pivot because you're such a pro at it and you've done it so many times. (laughs) And um, and I was so touched by the way that you explained that process. Maybe can you just touch on some of the points that you recommend um, mm. people use when they want to ch- follow their heart and pivot in their business because quite often it feels like a really big deal in your own head, yeah. but in, for, for people that are following you, it might not even seem that different to what you've been talking about for a while,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing sometimes we have this perception of how other, well, not sometimes, very often of how other people perceive us. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that if there's something that you're really passionate about, you likely already talk about that or radiate that in some form. So by you owning that even more and talking about it more and bringing it more into your business and your work, all your, sometimes the pivot is just in how much you're owning that versus how much you're radiating that. You might already be showing people that that's what you do. You just haven't put words to it yet. Mm. And I found that with me, a lot of the pivoting was like I I didn't one day wake up and say this is exactly how I'm going to pivot my business. I just followed all the nudges and the hints. And it's the same thing as how I followed the nudges from makeup into naturopathy. I I had you know I got a little hint about it. It It's something that I was passionate about that I loved to know for myself. And I would find myself talking to models about their food and their nutrition, like not giving advice because I wasn't a nutritionist, but just discussing stuff with them. Mm. And a couple of people noticed it and they said, you'd be such a good nutritionist and such a good naturopath. And it was, I didn't take that on then because it wasn't the right time for me, but I find with pivoting, if there's something that you know you need to do, there'll be so many nudges and hints and little signposts that will guide your way. And after a while it becomes impossible to not pivot because you'd have to be very consciously ignoring that new direction which starts maybe initially it's fine to do it'll start to become quite difficult to do you'll start to feel maybe rigid or resentful towards what you're currently doing as well as what you want to be doing because you're not letting yourself step forward and there can be so much fear around pivoting because we can think we're leaving people behind and that was my biggest fear when when I started to do much more kinesiology and and more kind of coaching and alignment work in terms of business and writing and creativity and purpose-based work, mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, I'm going to leave behind all these women that I've worked with for the last you know, three or four years who I helped them with their digestion and with their mood and with their bodies. And they're going to hate me and be upset with me. And I'm going to ruin something or I'm mm-hmm. going to damage something. And what I found was that I had to shift my mindset to think the people who want to come along with me on this new part of my, of this path will come along. And if they don't want to, that's actually okay. It doesn't mean they hate me. Like it was funny how my mind went straight to they'll hate me. Mm. I could tell myself, they're not going to hate you, Cass. They might just decide to go somewhere else. And that's amazing because there are so many other women in the world and men who can support their journey for where they're. Going or where they are right now, you don't need to help every single person ongoing forever for the rest of your life. Like, that's not possible. Mm. And I had to start thinking about who I would be helping when I opened up to doing the work that felt the most aligned and true for me. Mm. And what was amazing was that I remember a couple of years after I made this main big shift, I received an email from a client who I'd worked with from the very beginning of my business for a couple of years with naturopathy and nutrition. And I hadn't worked with her in the new version of my work, but she emailed me and she said, I've been following along with everything you've been doing. And this whole email was just about how, even though we weren't working together one-on-one, she was so inspired and encouraged by my shift in my work and everything I was creating that I was still supporting her in this new way Mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with the way she'd found me initially.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And it was such a lovely, you know, like a bit of a confidence boost that it was okay to change my mind that Mm -hmm. I could still be supporting people and I wouldn't be leaving people behind. Um, And I think you've also got to, when you're doing it, you have to allow yourself to be a little bit selfish initially, which we're often told not to do when we work for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're always told to give and serve, which is of course, a huge part of doing the work. But when you're doing the work, you have to love it for yourself first because if you don't love the work you're doing, you're really not helping the people that you're setting out to serve
0: Mm. because it takes so much energy I mean of course Mm. you talk about energy all the time but that the energy that you're doing the work with comes through and you can't manufacture that energy if it's not there it's not there yeah
1: no and and if you're feeling the opposite of that like if you're feeling agitated and resentful and angry Mm. that is what comes through in the work even if it's work that you used to absolutely love like if you said to me now yes I'm I've got a friend who wants to see you for a nutrition consult my whole body would be like oh no Mm. because that's not the work I do now it's the work I did in 2011 and 2012 Mm -hmm. and it's just not the work I want to do now Mm. and so if I had to force myself to do the old work I would not be enjoying it and the client sitting in front of me would not be enjoying it because they'd feel me not enjoying it.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's interesting too, like you said, having that client that's been... Um, in your world right from the beginning and yeah. and happily coming along through those different transitions And you can take people along with you on that journey I've found going through my gardening and then into painting and yeah. adding the, the business element to it, too I have some people that have been there through all of those and they still yeah. love it. and It's great Yeah,
1: Yeah. you've got to give people the opportunity to make their own decisions without you saying yes. Well, I can't move because then I'm gonna make you do something you don't want to do you just have to let them <laughs> yes. like it's actually quite arrogant isn't it when you yeah like they can make their own decisions if they want to follow your work they will and if not it's totally okay Okay. there'll be more people who will rush in to fill their space and it's all perfect and beautiful yeah
0: ah i love that i think that gives people so much freedom to experiment and keep following their curiosities and and growing yeah
1: yeah and it's not it's not you know like 18, I don't know, 92, where you have to have the same career your whole life. Like (laughs) we're really allowed to change our minds and it's kind of part yeah, not even kind of, it is part of life. Like allowing yourself to change your mind and course correct and you're not being, you can do all that without being flaky. You know, I think people think, oh, well, I'm being flaky and people are going to think I'm not finishing what I start or that I'm a quitter. Like be a quitter if it means that what you're starting is something that makes you feel incredible and that helps you radiate the work and the oh, light and the passion yes. that you have.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a new book out. I, I've got it on uh, my Kindle to, to read. Yeah. I haven't dived into it yet. Called the Multi Hyphen Meth- Method. I think it's yeah. Called it. Yeah. Have you heard of that book? It's I about like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like what you um have you speak about? You know, put. Put forward the, all the different facets of what you can do, and and there's space yeah. for that in today's economy. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And so, how do you like to listen to your heart and choose what to focus on in your business? You've often got lots of different projects coming up, and you're creating mm. things and you're relaunching things. How do you tune in to your heart and find what it is that you want to focus on in each season?
1: So, it's a really good question. I I don't usually plan ahead very very far mm. in terms of you know, if you said to me, okay, pretending I wasn't having a baby next year, but I am, so I'm really not planning ahead. But if you had said to me now, what, what's your plan for the next year? I couldn't have told, I couldn't tell you in terms of business and work, I could tell you ideas of what I'd want to do in this space, but I, I'm not, I don't enjoy mapping things out months in advance because anytime I've done that, things have changed and my intuition will say, oh, that." That sounded really nice on paper six months ago, but can can we go this direction, please? So I really am guided by my intuition in terms of what I create and when I launch something or relaunch something. And, of course, there's always some strategy involved. Like I'm not going to launch 27 million things in one week, but I try as much as I can to just listen to what feels good for me and to map and kind of plan ahead in a way that, and suits the part of me that likes to be organized and likes to plan because i really really do Mm. and that's like i'm an innately really organized human being (laughs) but also the part of me that likes that sense of freedom and knows that things will shift and change when i let them have the space to do so if they need to Mm. so i'll often find that my the best way for me to to kind of work out what is next think ideas will just start to drop in so It happens most specifically and most clearly with my books. Each time I I have a book to write, the ideas will start to drop in, you know, sometimes slowly initially, and then it will just start to happen like every every day where I'll just get a sentence that will drop in or a chapter or a paragraph and I have to go straight to my computer or my phone and type it in. I use Evernote so that whatever note I've created is I can have access it on my computer and my kindle not my kindle my ipad and my and my phone mm. so it's always synced so i never lose an idea which is mm. yeah and i'll also listen to my body so sometimes my mind gets really overwhelmed and i'll overthink things and i zoom ahead often and i like to sometimes try to force puzzle pieces to fit before i have all the information
0: mm. and i
1: have to really consciously pull back and remind myself that you know as it has happened thousands of times before if it's not working right now, I just don't have all the information I need. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard for me to leave things if I don't have the information, but I wanna take steps forward. Mm-hmm. But it's just with practice that I have, I've taught myself to be patient when I really don't wanna be patient. Mm-hmm. And I'll wait. And what I really like to do when I have an idea that comes through and I've only received a tiny part of it or the bigger picture, but none of the other details, I would just take a post it and write the name of the idea with a question mark. So I'm like, this is this, is this what we're talking about? And I stick it on my board behind my computer and it might stay there for six months or a year,
0: Mm.
1: or it might stay there for two days. And then the next day, all the information downloads about what I need. But I find if I can just get out of my head about it, so I'll get into my body either through doing some breath work or meditation or going for a walk or by getting out, getting the actual idea out of my head. So brain dumping what I know about it or as I said just putting it on a post-it and sticking it up I just have to get out of that part of my brain that says well we have the idea and now let's tick off all the boxes that tell us when it's going to be finished and what it's going to look like and all the (laughs) tiny details and I have to balance that with the part of me that's like whoa 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 you'll get the information when you need it and if you don't have what you need right now you just don't need it all right now Mm. yeah I think that
0: is so um it's sort of, it, I've been thinking a lot about deadlines recently and how I work with deadlines and mm-hmm. I like to work with movable deadlines, you know, yeah. intentions. And, and I often find that having a deadline for a project is useful to a point, but then if if exactly like you're saying, if you don't have all the puzzle pieces yet, you, it's best just to let it, put it down and trust yeah. that it's going to come through in the right time because it does. And so often what we think or we can be told is procrastination is just not mm. right timing
1: yet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And sometimes, like, there'll be a time where you know the procrastination is. Like, I'm reading through my next book now to send to my publisher in the next few weeks, and I'll know I'm procrastinating because I'm actually procrastinating. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm on my email when I don't need to be, or I'm like, I'm going to just post an Instagram post when I don't need to post an Instagram post. But then, as you said, there's the the type of procrastination that's actually just being patient and that's when you know going to do the laundry isn't actually procrastination it's you just creating white space to let ideas drop in or you taking off that time and saying to the project i'm just going to put you on the back burner when you're ready for me you'll let me know and trusting that your project has a timeline too and an energy too and not feeling like it's just up to you i always trust that the work i'm working on is its own work and its own entity and it has its own energy and it will tell me when it's ready for me to do more work or to change it or shift it. And so same as you, I like to do, I like to give myself really movable deadlines. There is, there are some exceptions like right now, only because I know uh, ish when the baby's coming, I have a deadline for the book because I want to just get it to a place where it's really solid and handed into my publisher before the baby comes. So I actually emailed my publisher and I'm like, can I give you a deadline to give me? <laughs> because we didn't have one because we were like, let's just see what happens with the baby. But then I was like, I need to send this to you before the baby comes because I'm worried about what will happen if it's not finished and then she arrives. So I actually made my own deadline. Mm-hmm. But for things like online programs, uh, instead of giving myself a, a date, I give myself a month. I'll be like, in May, I, f- like, I want to finish this in May and I'll launch it in June. And I won't really tell people what date I might say it's coming soon, or it's coming mid year. So if I shift the deadlines and the dates, I have no one else knows like it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference to anyone else. And that can take a lot of pressure off yourself with what you're creating too.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. My friend, um, Amanda Rootsy loves Mm. to work that way too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so when fears come up, when you're perhaps stepping in to do something new, what do you rely on to help you find the courage to move forward when it's something that you really want to do, obviously?
1: Yes. So I, so Stephen Pressfield talks about the resistance. I don't know if you've read any Mm -hmm. any of his books. Yeah. So he talks about the resistance, which is what can, it's the fear that stops us from doing the work that we want to do the most. Mm. And what he says is that the more fear we have, the more we need to see that as a calling that we need to do that work for the evolution of our soul. Mm. And I, I think, so for me, I have my on switch works much better than my off switch. So for me, it's usually more about me pulling back than going forward. Like I, mm. I, I'm, I'm absolutely a recovering perfectionist and I've, and I deal with that in other ways, but I might feel the fear, but I will most likely do the thing anyway, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just means that I do it. Um, yeah, I, I think I—I I, I don't think I'm good at stopping when I have something that I just know I have to do. I'm very good at listening and and knowing that that's the thing that I have to be working on, and even if I feel terrified, like my my the book that I'm working on now has called on me the most out of all my like my other two books it's caught on me the most clear fears in relation to what it's about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the topics really overlap with what we're talking about today, which is such perfect timing that we're having our chat today and the book's all happening now because it all comes up again to talk about. Mm-hmm. And the more fear I felt with the book, the more I knew I had to do the work anyway. And there are so many I don't know if you've ever heard read, uh, Todd um, Todd Henry's book "Die Empty." I read it because you recommended it, oh, and I loved it. Yes. <laughs> so his whole thing in that book—he has four books—but his whole thing in that book is to empty yourself of your best work every day so that you don't die with your best work inside of you. And when I read that book, I was like, "That's what I have to do every day." Like this is now non-negotiable. It's like brushing my teeth. And does that mean I sit down every day and write for twelve hours? No. But every day I'm doing something look, some days I'm just Netflix and chilling. But like most days of my life, I'm doing something that is emptying myself of my best work. Because to me, the opposite is just not happening. I'm just not going to hold all my work inside me because there's no such thing as perfection anyway. So if I were to hold it in because I'm worried about being perfect or not, it's an absolute waste of what's inside me. And it's an absolute waste of my time and energy in this world and on this planet. And it's just not even an option for me. And so I'd rather release work that I know is not perfect. I'd rather release work where I have fears about it or I have worries about it or I think I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know how this is going to be received. Yeah, I could have made that chapter a bit longer slash better slash shorter slash punchier slash whatever. But this is the best I could do with what I had now and in the time I have now and where I am now in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to release this because I'm not going to hold this within me any longer. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just practice from doing it I don't know if it's just the excitement that I get every time I create something where I'm like, even if it's not perfect, I'm so excited to release this that like I have to let it go. Or if it's just a combination of that and my personality and just wanting to do the work and the rush I get when I release something. But I'm much better as, as Seth Godin says, it's shipping. I'm much better at shipping my work than holding it in.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's so cool because I I think back to when I first started painting and you know obviously my skills have improved since that time but at that at that point when I first started it was the best that I could do and if I hadn't have released it and put it out into the world and had exhibitions and sold work and had that feedback loop from um within the my career that I wouldn't have gotten to this point either and um not only that but I look at it, and it, there was such a pure joy about it in my early twenties. Of this is what I love to do, and so in order to keep doing it, I need a place for it to go because I can't just stockpile yeah. paintings in my house. No. You know, <laughs> and I mean, thankfully, I guess um, you know, word documents don't take up as much space as as yeah. paintings. But the the process of putting things out into the world is it can be a pure joy in and of itself, can't it? When you yeah when, you, when you're approaching it from a place of of delight in in this in what you talk about you know love what you create and 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 yeah. enjoying that creative process so that it then allows you to keep that conduit open where you can keep making things and keep putting it out and and releasing and, and keep involved in that constant loop of um of not wearing yourself producing, but wearing
1: like producing yeah. things because you're inspired and, and you want somewhere to put that energy. Mm. Exactly. And I think that's the thing you, you have to enjoy the process of it as well. A lot of the time, I think people create something because well, I shouldn't say a lot of the time, but sometimes you, you, you get an idea and you're like, Oh, I just want that out there. And I just want that for the outcome. It's so and easy. I think that's the, yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think if you, if you love the process of how you create, mm. then you're going to love what you create even more. And that can be as simple as having a beautiful space at home or an, you know, an office space or a workspace or a studio, whatever it is. And it could be a tiny little nook. It could be like a little shelf in your cupboard that you take out the stuff that you need every time you do your creation, whatever the work is that you do. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you have a container for that. You have a beautiful space for it. It might, it might mean that you have half a day or one day a week. And that's just that sacred time for you to do it. And you look after yourself throughout that whole process. I'm, I'm so not the person who goes into a, in air quotes, creative cave and I don't brush my teeth or I forget to shower or eat. Like I am the absolute opposite when I am creating it. For me, it's like I wake up, I exercise, I get my coffee from my favorite place. I sit down, my desk feels all tidy and, you know, not, not, not neat. Like there's, A little bit of creative chaos around here. I've got stuff all over my desk, but it's all stuff that I love that helps me feel focused and grounded and calm and creative. And then I'll do work. I love to have the fridge full of good food. I'll take breaks. I'll go for walks outside. I'll have a nap if I need to. I'll finish the day. I might do some yoga at home or go for another walk around the block or go sit. We live really close to the ocean and there's just all these beautiful little spots to sit for a little bit and breathe like that's how I I feel really good when I've looked after my body and mind and spirit. And that's why I create the best. Mm. And you have to also work out how you fit. You can't, you can't expect to create incredible work if you're feeling drained and tired and you haven't exercised or moved your body or eaten well. Like, Mm. I'm really sorry, but it's not going to happen. And I know that's me being like, Little bit tough love, but you just have to look after yourself so that you're a clear conduit for the work to come through. Because for me, I truly believe in that flow that flows through you when you write or paint or whatever it is that you're doing, and you look back and you're like, Oh my god, I don't remember writing those words, or I don't know how I made that line so you know, like Mm. it ends up being something that just flows through you, and that's not going to happen if you haven't looked after yourself as well. Not to say you need to be perfect or eat perfectly or only drink green smoothies to do good work but for me the creative cave is a myth the same way as writer's block is a myth the same way as um even you know in one of uh, Stephen pressfield's books there's a quote and hilariously i've never found this quote again and i've searched (laughs) i think three times through all the three books i have of his I, i need to find it again but it's a quote by someone else that he quoted in the book and the guy says I only write when my muse arrives. Thankfully she arrives every morning at 9am when I sit down at my desk. (laughs) That's the thing that you need that discipline. And I find the way you get the discipline is when you really honor yourself and look after what you need in order to have the discipline in a way that doesn't make you feel burnt out.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's building, it's that relationship with you. You're the primary creator in, in this project. And it's it's sort of obvious when you look at it that way that, that you have to be in good shape like you have to be taking care of yourself and, yeah. and honoring yourself and um for for it to be sustainable because you might have a bout of it being you know a flurry of activity but then it's so easy to crash and that's not that's not the most fun way to work yeah no exactly mm. and how do you um love to stay inspired
1: so well i just let it come to me. <laughs> like, you know, that sounds really passive, but I, I find that if I'm doing things every day that bring me joy in my work
0: mm-hmm.
1: and also honoring the times where I might not feel inspired, like, you know, I mean, I'm about to enter into my third trimester now in my pregnancy, but in my first trimester, I was tired and my brain was, you know, fuzzy and foggy and I had no energy and no mental energy for any work. And it was quite hard for me to Initially, surrendered to not being inspired at all and being quite uninspired and a little bit apathetic towards my work. Mm-hmm. And I had to keep reminding myself that this wasn't a forever thing. This was because of where I was at in my life, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a short, like literally a twelve-week <laughs> cycle season of my life that wasn't going to feel uber inspiring for me because of what was happening in my body and where all my energy was going and where it needed to go. And so that, to me, was a really beautiful way in hindsight of being able to see that it was actually okay for me to not be inspired Mm -hmm. the the way that I would have usually. Mm -hmm. And that that period it wasn't, wasn't like it was finite. There was an end to it. But Mm -hmm. sometimes when we're in that stage for whatever reason, I'm not feeling inspired because of our work or through our work or because of something else that is just impacting our work. We can think that that's forever or that that means that we've done something wrong. We're not doing enough, Mm -hmm. but Similarly to that quote from the guy that I can't remember his name, but about how his, his muse, his muse arrives when he sits down to write. Sometimes you need, sometimes you get inspired when you sit down to do the work. So sometimes inspiration will hit and you'll be like, Oh, there's the idea. I have to go grab my, you know, get my laptop or make a note or whatever it is. Or like, you know, for you might be like, start the painting. And then sometimes I sit down at my desk and I'm like, I have, I got nothing, but I sit down anyway. And when I start to do the work, then I find the inspiration. So Mm. I don't always wait for it because I think if I always waited, I might not always, I might not end up doing any work some days. Um, But I know that for me, when I'm giving myself that time and space to rest and, and have that space in between and that time off, especially if I'm not feeling inspired, it all flows back. It's a cycle. So there might be days or a week where I don't feel it, and then it will come back when the time is right.
0: Mm. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, and um, I find that that idea of cycles and rhythms and and seasons so useful because I find it perhaps similarly when I'm in that space where I might be tired or I'm um, just worn out from. Uh, maybe, my, I mean, as my winter season in my cycle, yes. that's kind of my edge is learning to slow down and to stop. And I find that a little bit, um, well, like a lot of people, I think a lot of women find that uh, trying to be able yes. to give myself permission yes. to slow down. But it's such an important and s- worthwhile gift to give yourself because mm. we're so much more than just our productivity as well. And the, and insights can drop in that wouldn't come through if we had always felt that we have to put it, have our foot on the pedal and on the gas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. It happened to me a few years ago. I was several years ago. I was doing way too much in my business. I was studying kinesiology. I was studying my masters of human nutrition. I was um, setting up to start kinesiology practice because I knew I would be finishing. So I was getting things ready in my business. I was doing all these webinars for work and it was the first time I'd run webinars in my business and the technology wasn't as amazing as it is now where it's just so easy and I was stressing out about finding all the right you know software and tools and integrating everything and I was running uh, my first corporate talks which was so stressful it, and it was just the first time I'd done done something so big and I was getting heart palpitations from, from just the stress but it was, it became so scary and worrisome that I went to see my doctor. I got referred to a cardiologist. I had to have a 24 hour Holter monitor put on to check that my heart was actually fine. Wow. And amazingly, my heart behaved perfectly well with the Holter monitor on like, like a naughty puppy that you take to puppy school <laughs> well, and the puppy's perfect. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and my doctor was like, do you know what? It's probably just, it's just stress. And I straight away I'd been taking all the herbs that I thought were great for where I was at. But once I realized that really it was just stress and there was nothing wrong with my heart, I switched up the herbs I was taking and I started to um, almost initially force myself to go to, you know, a a 9am yoga class or a midday yoga class instead of a a 6am yoga class. Like Mm -hmm. I just forced myself to slow down in a way that put like a break, a handbrake on in the middle of my day Mm -hmm. so that I had to, you know, if you've got to go to a midday yoga class, you have to stop work at 11.30, you get home at 1.30, you've got to have lunch. Like it gave me a buffer in my day. Mm. And, I started to say no to things I couldn't do. I started to slow down. I decided to um, actually take early exit from my master's because I was realizing that it didn't, I didn't actually need it and I was doing it for the wrong reasons. So Mm I finished the unit I was doing and I got a graduate certificate of human nutrition instead of the full master's Mm -hmm. and my heart palpitations went away and Mm -hmm. it was such a call to me that like a physical call to say you're doing too much and I can't, like your body can't take this you're, yeah. and you're giving too much and energetically your heart, you know, whether it's chakras or meridians, it's, it's all about obviously love for yourself and for what you're doing, but it's that idea of what you're giving out and what you're letting you leave mm-hmm. and accepting where you are and forgiving yourself and, you know, in, if needed other people. But for me, I wasn't, I was giving way too much and I wasn't, Letting myself receive, even if it was just from myself, that time off and that to slow down. Mm. But since then, I'm much, much, much better at listening and honoring what my body needs.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. a so, good lesson. And I, I it, yeah, oh, we could talk about these things for ages. But I'm going to move on yeah. to the next question. Sure. <laughs> um, how, how did you go about finding clarity around what it is that you offer and who you serve? And that's kind of a broad question when you've worked with so many different people. But perhaps we'll focus on the um, – since you added kinesiology into the mix. Yeah.
1: So I always find that your, you know how we, when we start our businesses, if, if, if you do some kind of – often like an online marketing course, or like something that gets you to get clear on who your customer your, – in air quotes, ideal customer is. We're told to work out our ideal client avatar. And I always hated this exercise so much. <laughs> and I don't mean anything bad by people who love it or like who have it in their online courses. Like it's really important to know who you want to talk to and who you want to work with. But what I found was, and I remember, and I my example is Lucy, who's twenty six in media, because she was the person I wrote down, like randomly made up when I did this first exercise back in two thousand and eleven or twelve. Where did you say Lucy is? media like she works no, in media, media. Like okay, I right. like <laughs> right. had to write who she was what's her name how old is she and what, what okay. industry does she work in so Lucy 26 in media but mm-hmm. me knowing where Lucy works what she eats for breakfast what magazines or blogs she reads mm-hmm. or what Instagram account she follows it only gives me a tiny piece of Lucy 26 in media. It doesn't mean she's going to resonate with my work or love the way I write or want to work with me or feel compelled to download a free gift of mine or to purchase one of my courses or programs. It doesn't mean anything of the sort, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, the more that I started to work with the clients who felt called to my work because of what I was putting out there, which I'll, and I'll talk about that in a set, the more I realized that it's really about resonance and it has nothing to do with ideal client stuff. Yes. And this became really clear to me about a year into my kinesiology practice where I had clients who were, I started to have clients who were so different on paper. It was incredible. Like one would be 20, you know, at uni and whatever was going on for her. And another would be 65 and going through all other life changes and all other things happening in her life. But the resonance, like if I I had had to write similarities between them and put it on paper, they would have been best friends if you put them in the (laughs) same room, but they had nothing to do with each other in terms of like demographics Mm. or yeah, like the details. And so I stopped thinking about my clients or, who I wanted to work with in terms of like that kind of surface level detail, and I started to think, who are the people who are going to resonate most with my work in terms of their values and their mm-hmm. ideas and their personality and their dreams and their goals and their fears and their worries and their anxieties and their concerns and their passions mm-hmm. and when I did that, it doesn't matter what country they live in or how old they are, whether they're you know I do mostly work with women but I have worked with men before. And I remember I went, I was running one of my Love What You Create workshops. I, I did a tour of, I went to four cities a couple, When was it a couple of years ago? And this, and I wasn't, I didn't say, oh, this is for women, but it was, my branding is a little bit, and my voice, like it's all, it's pretty much directed toward, but it's also very open. And I received an email from a guy saying, I, I love, you know, I really want to come to this workshop, but I'm a guy, can I come? And I was like, Dude, if you resonate with this, like I would love to have you there. I didn't say dude, but I was like, of <laughs> course. If this, you know, if this feels good, play, I would love to have you there. And he was so awesome, and he came to the workshop. He was the only guy at the workshop, and he's still the only guy in the course since I turned it into an online course as well. And it was amazing. And he had like everything else. Again, it was all about resonance, and he resonated with the other women there, with me, with the work, with the workshop, and it was so wonderful. So for me, in terms of how I pivoted, I kept following the work that I wanted to do the most. And I just kept trusting that the people who need that work would find me. Obviously, I put myself out there. I didn't just sit at home twiddling my thumbs, but mm. I, I, you are not always your own ideal client or you're not always creating for yourself. But on some level, we're always teaching and doing the work that we also need to deepen within ourselves. So if you keep following what you want to deepen within yourself, you'll keep actually drawing in and attracting the people who need that the most for where they're at as well. Mm. Yeah.
0: When I was painting, I went through, and I'm sure it'll continue on, but, um, I went through pivoting I suppose for want of a different yeah. word uh through many different styles of painting and I would work in a series and I'd have an exhibition and then, then I would uh want to explore something new and I'd come out the next year with a completely different style and it would have been so yeah. easy uh, in inverted commas to just keep doing the thing that was proven and was sale- selling and all of that but it wouldn't have been easy for me because it would have been um boring <laughs> and it would have been yeah, inauthentic yeah and yeah. Um, So it's, yeah, that's, it's really lovely what you said. And the the thing that I learned through that process and I did, I did trust in and I've, I find, and I hear what you're saying in business is the same that there's always going to be, if you're doing something that interests you and that you love and you put out there with the love that you, have in making it and show up to make it available to people, the right people will find it and they'll buy it. You don't always have yeah. to know who's going to buy it every time before
1: you make something. Yeah, exactly. And we can really sometimes think, especially when pivoting, we can think, well, I don't know who's going to like this yes. or who's going to buy this. So maybe that means no one will. And that's such a lack of mentality, which is so mm-hmm. common when we are creating something new to be like, who's, who's going to like this? Or like, mm-hmm. am I just, creating this, you know, and shouting this out into the void. But I think there's, it's, as you said, you you have to trust that when you make it and love it, the right people will find it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a tiny flip side to that, which is what I years ago went through and had to clear within myself was this um, almost like a sense of entitlement of, well, I've made, I've put so much effort into this and it's so, I love it and it's so great. So that just means people will like it. (laughs) And that was with me showing up not like still in integrity and in alignment but Mm -hmm. not it was like an immature version of that Mm -hmm. and I had to realize that just because I made something that I love doesn't mean it's going to be always received the way I like my expectations didn't always match reality Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that I did the wrong thing or created it incorrectly or you know missed the boat on something but sometimes it's just a timing thing. You have to like rework something or it needs more timing, or you need to just communicate it more to the people who need it most, or it just needs time to build and grow. And I, yeah, there was a like a maturation of that sense of I'm going to show up anyway, even if you don't like it versus I'm going to show up and you'll like it because I do. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Very, very true. And, and sometimes it is that, that you've, you've started and you have to start in a void because you don't know who the people are and then you start to can enter into a collaboration with them so to speak and you particularly business not so much with the painting you know really change your painting (laughs) for someone usually but but um you can get feedback and it becomes a collaborative process and you can tweak things and make the the positioning of it different or the structure and the container the duration all those different things yeah exactly Mm. yeah and how do you love to foster an authentic connection with your community? I just love the way that you show up online and in your Instagram posts and your newsletters. I every time one lands in my bo- inbox, I'm like, "Oh, it's got a, I've got a note from Cass. I'm going to going to save that for when I can have a cup of tea and, you know, sink into it."
1: Um, thank you. Firstly, I, so years ago when I started at my first, the first clinic that I worked at as soon as I graduated, they had a really great newsletter that I think they it sent out, like it was a proper paper newsletter that, that sent out twice a year or maybe seasonally. And my first time working there was May. And so we were moving into winter and the clinic director said to me, do you want to write an article for the for the newsletter, like it will help you to get clients. We'll introduce you to everyone. It's like, yes. Amazing. And I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm an path Tick. I love writing. Tick. It's turning into winter soon. Tick. That means I need to write about herbs for <laughs> your immune system in winter. Right. <laughs> Cause that's what that means. You know, I was just following like all the ticks and the dots and I sat down to write this article and I was like, who am I writing this for? Like, who are these people that I need to be writing this article for? And is this the article I really want to write or do I just think I should because I'm a an naturopath who likes to write and it's nearly winter. And so <laughs> I wrote this article <laughs> and look, it was still a great article. Is that how to, I don't know, ward off the winter blues or something. And it was great. Like I talked about which food and nutrients and herbs to take. It was important. But after I did that, I remember saying to myself, I now need to know, I need to have an idea of who I'm writing this to so that I can make it more personal. And it's not just a random newsletter that someone's going to pick up and be like, oh, this was just written for anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I started to pretend that anything I wrote, even if I didn't know who I was writing it for, I started to picture that I was writing it to my best friend Mm -hmm. as if I was writing her a personal email. Mm -hmm. And it helped me to just be a little bit lighter in my sentences and in how I was writing and what I was saying and to not make it so clinical or so stark and white. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest change initially. I just pretended I was writing to my friend and it also made it easier because sometimes when we sit down, um, we just don't know. So Seth Godin says there's no such thing as writer's block because there's no such thing as talker's block or speaking block, right? Like Mm -hmm. you and I are never going to be like, Oh, but sorry, we have to end this podcast interview. I've I've got nothing else to say. Like that's just never going to happen. (laughs) I've run out of words. But we think we get writer's block if we think we've run out of good ideas. Mm -hmm. And so it says, just keep writing the bad ideas, like keep showing up with the bad ideas and eventually a good idea will come. Mm. And so for me, I had to, the way that I could shift out of thinking this is a good or bad idea was just to pretend I was writing to my friend so that it didn't actually matter. I was like, my friend's not judging me if this is a good or a bad idea. I'm just going to tell her about this, you know, this way to ground your energy or this way to feel aligned to what you're working towards, whatever it was that I was writing. And as much as possible, I try to do that when I show up online. And I also have, I don't have any rules with online meet with online media. That's my baby brain, social media, except that I don't share something while I'm going through it until I feel like I have perspective on, on the situation because a few years ago I did, I went through a stage where I was going through like a lot, probably around the time I had the heart palpitations, i had really shitty boundaries. I was like, my business was expanding and I was trying to catch up and there was so much happening. And I went through a couple of, things in terms of boundaries and, and um, yeah, stuff with like, yeah, it was actually all boundary based. And then I would write about it while I was still in it. And then I would look back the next week and say, Oh my God, did I actually post that? to my yeah, blog Like mm-hmm. feel how charged I was about what I was writing about. Mm-hmm. And so I decided then, and look, some people love to write as they and share as they're going through it, and it helps them process. Mm. For me, it does the opposite. I like mm. to process privately. Mm. I like to process with friends, or you know, my own healer, or with um, my husband, or my family, or in my journal, or through meditation, or however it is that I choose to do it in that day. And then once I feel calm and grounded, and I have that perspective, then I'll share if there's something to a positive to impart. So I'm never going to share and say, "Hey, everyone, happy Monday on Instagram. I had a really shit weekend." <laughs> Like if I had a bad, if something happened, I'll say something, you know, I've been going through a tough time. This is what I did to come out of it. Or this is what I did to feel better. Or this is what I did to find my flow again. Mm-hmm. And I'll always say, this is what happened. And this is what I did so that it's actually a story and there's an arch to it. I'm not just going to say, this is what happened. It was terrible and awful. Okay, that's fine, Cause that doesn't mm-hmm. help anyone. It doesn't help mm-hmm. me. It doesn't help my readers. Mm-hmm. So I also sometimes don't share And it's been more through this pregnancy than ever before where there might've been like four or five or six days where I haven't posted on Instagram, which to some might sound like a lot or not a lot. But for me, you know, I just, there were some things where I'm like, I just need this time for myself and I'm not, there's nothing that I need to say or share. And I'm just going to chill. And I feel really okay with that. And I, maybe five years ago would have felt stressed, but yeah, I just try to be me and share things that I can, that impart some, something that someone can use Mm. Um, and if I have anything to share or I'm not feeling it, I don't force it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. We're very kind to yourself through the process as well as looking at what the value is you're offering for the others. And I remember um, asking you in your, you've got this business alignment mastermind, if you had a copywriter because your sales pages are so delightful and you said that you use the same process. And I was like, Oh, of course! Just write to your best friend for a sales page, and I have clients yeah. asking me, you know, do I need to hire a copywriter? And and I just say, no, nope, you can ju- you just use this
1: tool, and it's so useful to yeah, in yeah, that's so awesome. And I mean, like, it's it's taken me a time. Like, I I did hire a copywriter a couple uh, probably two thousand and twelve, thirteen, and it was really helpful. But I found I did tweak it to add even more of my voice in afterwards, but. And I definitely think sometimes like if you're, if you, you know, sometimes we just want someone else to do something for us and we just want that help. But I think that knowing that you can also just use your own voice and write, you know, give a bit of a story and then tell people the benefits and how they'll feel Like you can't make promises. Like I promise you will feel this way or this will be your outcome. But you know, this is how you might feel when you work with me or this is how you could feel afterwards or this is, these are some of the outcomes you might be able to experience or whatever. Mm. Then you're just, you're just actually telling them the truth and Mm. then you're letting them decide if it feels good and right for them. And again, it's trusting that the people who are reading your sales pages are humans and they can make their own adult decisions and you don't have to trick them into buying from you. Um, And yeah, you can write to them. And of course you want to write, and use emotive language and write in a way that sounds like you and is going to invite people in to the work. But I think the more you just radiate that anyway, through the work and the words, the more they'll feel that like it does. And then it doesn't matter if it's a five page or a five paragraph sales page, because it has that that same energy of what you're trying to call in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And what, uh, what sort of practical tools, processes or systems do you like to use to keep you on track and get all your projects done? Do you have anything, you know, whether they be energy work or, or physical um, tools that you use to keep you
1: <laughs> know where all your ideas are yeah. and what's going on? <laughs> so I love to use Evernote for my ideas. Mm-hmm. So as I said, it's, it's, like, it's such a great, I know you call it an app or software or whatever it is, but... I have it on my computer and on my phone and on my iPad so that whatever I'm doing, if an idea comes to me, I can write it down. And like sometimes that might, you know, you could just jot it into your notes in your phone. But for me, I have my Evernote set up so that every you create note books and then in each notebook you have a note. So I'll have a notebook for each kind of like branch of my business and also for life. Like one might be like home or business or, or travel, whatever. And then, you know, like for this book that I'm working on now, I have a a notebook called book three. And then within that, I have for every book and really for every program I have, I'll have like a spark file where once the ideas start to come through, I just start to kind of jot them out and brainstorm. I do also love to do it just on paper. Like I have a whole you know array of notebooks that I use for different reasons. And that's where I'll do a lot of brainstorming and mind mapping as well. Mm. But there are some times where I, especially for my books, when I know that I might be out and about and get an idea and just really need to type that into the somewhere quickly because, you know, if I get an idea when I fall asleep, if I don't write that down, I will not remember it. Mm. I know some people do. I will wake up and remember I had a great idea, but I will have no idea what the idea was. And I swear to God, they do, they don't come back. Like
0: mm.
1: maybe once or twice, the idea has come to me in a day, but most <clears throat> most of the time, I it's gone. So I make sure I write it down. Um, I have used Asana and I do sometimes depending on how big the project is, but I often find for me Evernote and a notebook is great and enough. I, in terms of tools, I will often use, so I use Danielle Laporte's daily planner and I have for about two or three or four years. And that is just like my daily, like, I map out everything that I need to do that day, usually the day before or even the week before. And I'm always adding to it and white outing things and adding things and highlighting things back in. Like I need that on my desk and it's always open. So at the end of each day, I close it and make sure it's closed as a way of saying like, think you know, this day is complete. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I open it up. So I never leave it open
0: mm-hmm.
1: overnight. It's just this ritual where once it's shut, um, the day is finished, mm. and on my desk I have like I'll have a few crystals, um, and I have a few. I use um, my friend Helen Jacobs' the little sage oracle cards every day. So I'll pull one or two or three of those cards. I'll sometimes pull those when I'm setting kind of monthly intentions of what I'm working towards at the beginning of each month. And I write that in the in Danielle Laporte's Daily Planner, the one on my desk. Mm-hmm. I'll often pull a card for the theme of the month or I'll do a little kinesiology balance on myself in relation to like, I'll do the goals and then set one, you know, create a goal for myself for how I want to feel that month. And then I'll do a balance on myself. Mm-hmm. And my other main tool, apart from, you know, journaling and meditation, which I do, I'll do little bits of, like I'll never sit down for an hour and meditate. for an hour a day Mm -hmm. but I like to keep the yoga mat mostly rolled out in our living room Um, and so I'll do especially sitting a lot at the moment with my hips and being pregnant I need to stretch out my hips and lower back a lot so I try to sit down for a few like 5 10 15 minutes every day for a little meditation Mm -hmm. and exercise all that helps me to feel clear Mm -hmm. it's not even like a physical tool or a tangible tool but it just helps my mind be clear um, but apart from all that kinesiology helps me to stay, like feel really on track and clear stuff that is feeling like it's getting in the way. Yeah. Um, and it could be as simple as setting a goal, finding the emotion that's feeling blocked in relation to that. And then finding an acupressure point that I need to rub or tap or hold to help shift that energy or to help call more of it. in. Um, and that, that might be all I do, but I do, I, I balance my energy frequently. So every day I'm doing something to help clear and align and balance myself. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. All of those things are so practical and nurturing and useful. Yeah. yeah. And what do you do? You have an ideal morning routine, or do you have a usual morning routine, or are you more of a flexible,
1: go with the flow sort of girl? I'm pretty flexible, but I have things that I will do most days. So pretty much every day, I I'll wake up and exercise of some. There's some kinds. So it might be Pilates or going for a walk or a strength class, or I've got um, like a few pregnancy workouts that I do at home on, like, on my yoga mat, but they're like, I use light weights and then I'll do a little bit of yoga. And then I'll go and get a, I call it a fake coffee because I'm drinking calf because I'm pregnant. So I'll get a fake coffee and then either do a bit of work in a cafe or come home and work. And that's kind of my routine. I just exercise, get the coffee start my work and anything else that I do around that like if I do a bit of journaling before or I do a balance myself before that just like I fit that in however I need to or and I will pull a card at some stage when I start my morning which helps to set the tone for the day or helps me with anything I might need to be focusing on and then it really depends on what else is happening for the day so if I have client work like I'm seeing clients one-on-one I don't do a lot of kind of deep dive creative work in the morning. So I might do more email type stuff or even like life admin stuff. But if I have a day where I, I don't see clients, then I know I can get stuck into doing my work. But yeah, my morning routine is pretty much. Oh, and breakfast is somewhere in there. So it's like exercise, coffee, eat, work. That's oh, pretty much it. What do you have for breakfast? I'm constantly curious how about you have for breakfast? <laughs> so I'll t- so this morning I had um mango with natural yogurt and muesli and some lsa so the linseed some flower seed almond mix Mm. but lately i've been making birch and muesli the night before because it's just been so nice that it's in the fridge so and it's so easy i just mix um half a cup of oats with water chia seeds the lsa frozen raspberries a little bit of stevia um and a bit of yogurt and I basically just fill and mix that all together before I add the water and then I just fill the water so it's just just above the oats Mm -hmm. and then I pop it in the fridge and in the morning I add a bit more fresh fruit and that's what I've been having Mm -hmm. otherwise I'll have sourdough toast with one or two poached eggs and some avocado sometimes I have smoothies but I prefer to chew my food so I I will sometimes have a smoothie more in summer never ever in winter it's too cold Mm -hmm. but yeah those are my and I might make like if I have eggs, I might sometimes add a big handful of like baby spinach and mushrooms and tomatoes or like pan fried alongside the, if I make fried eggs, but that will just depends. But those, those are like, that's what I rotate with. Mm -hmm. Or If I'm rushing out the door and I need to eat before, like pre-pregnancy, I never had to eat before exercise, but now no matter what I do, I have to have something. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have something small before I exercise and then a proper breakfast after. So I might have like a piece of, Vegemite toast with a bit of cheddar on it or a piece of peanut butter sourdough toast. Mm. And then I'll literally eat it as I'm walking to my car so I can get to exercise. But yeah, those are my mm. usuals that I rotate with.
0: Great. Yeah. And I, I love, I, um, I'm a yeah Vegemite fan too. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> um, I know that you take time off. Mm. Um, what does it look like and how do you plan for it in your business?
1: So I love taking time off. I used to feel really scared to take time off in my business, and yeah, I used to just feel quite panicked that I'd miss out on something, or even just taking time out on the weekends would feel hard. Um, and so, what I've learned now with myself is that if on the weekend I wake up and I'm like, "Oh, I have to do this work," like I have to write this chapter, or you know, this I, this is coming to me and it's coming through, and I have to make space to just do it. I'll do it then, but I won't do it if it's out of stress or if I'm if, if I'm I'll only do it if it's something that feels joyful and light and easy and free versus something where I'm like, you're on a deadline and a schedule and you have to get this done or everything's gonna explode and or implode. Like I won't do it from that space because that creates burnout within me. And the the trap that we fall into, especially when we run our own businesses or do work that we love, is that we think, oh, you know, that old phrase of, you know, if you love your work, you'll never work a day in your life. It actually ends up happening is that you work even more because you love your work so much that you think that working really hard won't impact you the way it might if you're working for someone else or in an office Mm -hmm. but you can end up working even harder Mm -hmm. and so now like I already know I'm taking off I'm actually taking off maternity leave quite early because of where Christmas you know where Christmas falls in terms of where my pregnancy is Mm -hmm. so I and my business is set up in a way that if I'm not there the only thing that really changes is my one-on-one work Mm -hmm. like my programs all can run themselves pretty much actually they do and uh, my online like my shop everything I don't have to do anything manually like sometimes things go wrong and I have to check someone's login details or send them something that they didn't receive the first time or whatever but in terms of me taking time off the only thing that changes is my one-on-one time so if I know that I'm going to be taking time off I give people notice and I'll say you know like even this morning I sent out a newsletter saying there's one month left to work with me one-on-one before maternity leave I, I might open extra spots for people to work with me before I'm going to take time off, whether that's even just a week off or, you know, a month off. And then I prepare things. So last year, Nick and I went to, my husband and I went to Europe for a month and I knew that I was doing no work while I was away. I have an assistant who does email email replies and customer service for me. So I knew if anything, I'd be emailing her, but I wasn't going to do any article writing or anything like that. So I set up in advance four newsletters. So one weekly newsletter for while we were away. And the first one was how to prepare your business for a holiday. And I was, I said to them, as you read this, I'm in Greece or <laughs> Italy for my husband. But as, as I write this in real time, I'm in the library two weeks before we go on holiday. So I was really clear with like, this has been prepared. Like mm. I'm chilling, but you're getting this because I was prepared in advance. Mm-hmm. And so I just prepare what I need to. And I also trust that if something happens and I need to jump on my computer or fix something or reply to someone, I can do that too. But I just trust my business can hold itself up if I'm taking a break and relaxing and it always does and it has. And then I let myself take the break and not like I'll always take my laptop away with me from going away for more than a couple of days, mm-hmm. but I'm really good at closing it and putting it away. Mm. Yeah.
0: And what's bringing you the most joy in your life and work right
1: now? Mm, good question uh, well my my book finally, and I say finally yeah. because <laughs> i it, there was a real period in the middle of the year where I just felt as we were talking about before, my inspiration and my flow was like mush like a puddle on the floor, and <laughs> so i that at times I tricked myself into thinking that because. I wasn't feeling the flow that I wasn't going to finish the book and I had to just keep reminding myself and seeing that it just wasn't the right time to be investing energy into creating something new and my body was creating a baby. And so that just, I had to just kind of separate that. And Mm -hmm. so now that I have more energy and I'm really, I'm feeling that more creative flow that is my, feels like my usual. Um, My book is bringing me a lot of joy because I'm, firstly, I'm seeing the end of it, but I'm also just appreciating what I've written more so because I, it's, I just have been in the process more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other things that are bringing me joy in a funny way, it's actually a bittersweet joy because a lot of the work I'm doing now is in the lead up to taking time off for the baby. So I, I really only have a month left of work of client work before Christmas and we're going away with my family for a few weeks. And when I get back, I'll be 35 weeks pregnant and mm. not starting more work then. So I, I'll probably do some writing and if something pops up, that's easy for me to do. I'll do that, but I, I won't be doing much more work after that. So the things that are bringing me joy are actually just the day-to-day usualness. Mm. It's not a word, but you know what I mean? of <laughs> my work because there's a time limit on it now, which feels crazy and weird and exciting. So Mm. it's, it's actually every day, like literally sitting down at my desk now, like this morning, and then knowing we had our interview and then, you know, like knowing I'll do some work after this, that is bringing me joy because it's, yeah, there's only a few more weeks left of doing it in this way hmm yeah though that's true it'll yeah, be quite different,
0: different after that it's not like you're just going for a break and then you come back no, and everything's the same <laughs> exactly wow that's cool
1: yeah yeah so it's cool and slightly terrifying because yes. I love my work and I love yeah. the, I love how how it all works now and I know that will change and it'll be beautiful in its new iteration but yeah there's there's surrendering to this to being like mm. Yeah, this is probably for a very long time the last, you know, the last full day I'll have to do this and the last full day I'll have to do that. So I'm just enjoying all the days that I have to do the work. Mm. I just
0: started reading a book called The Rainbow Way and mm. it's about um, cultivating creativity in amongst motherhood. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the next season of your life. Um, yes, I'm mean, going to find that book. It's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it so far.
1: Yeah. And, it's an amazing thing.
0: And what about, um, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly. What, what do you do? Let me, I have to choose cause I feel like we've, we've spoken for so long. I need to choose which questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um how do you cultivate playfulness in your work? I do find that you're, um, emails and communications and everything feels like it's got a lightness and often a playfulness to it is there something that you can think of that helps you to cultivate that
1: so firstly again thank you <laughs> so what i do is so years ago not even that long ago a couple of years ago i and actually it's the it's the project that kind of brought me to then write, it's all good, which is all about surrendering to where you are and to releasing things that felt like they might not have worked the way you thought they could have, should have, would have worked. And then really integrating from that space. And I had to do that by myself very deeply um, about three, four years ago through a project that I put so much effort and work and love and money and everything into Mm. and it just ended up not going the way I thought it would and it sent me on this incredible journey of learning a bajillion lessons all over again and then relearning and relearning and relearning Mm. and since then I actually try as much as I can to not take my work seriously or personally (laughs) beautiful yeah because it's how I make a living and I love it and you know, I love when I do deep work that feels amazing and and it's serious in that I'm giving people advice and support that they will take seriously sometimes, you know, like there's that level to it. And it's personal in that it's, it's self-expression and it's how I choose to do things. But I also just try to see a lot of what I do as an experiment and to just, and to bring that lightness in because I find that, yeah, the times that I have taken my work too seriously or too personally it's meant that if anything has gone not to a perfect plan, I have felt, you know, like it's it's rocked and knocked me. Yeah. So by being more playful and light in my work and being more, you know, seeing things as an experiment Mm -hmm. actually allows things to be more playful because you're not, you don't take things personally and you don't make it out like, this is the end of the world if this doesn't work out the way i think it needs to yeah. and you just sit more in that space of trust and surrender and you're still doing the work and you're still loving what you create and you're still calling in you know the success you want to be feeling and the things you want to be creating and what you want to be doing but you're just not making it so stressful mm-hmm. yeah and <laughs> it allows
0: you to be more flexible i find too with that yeah. experimentation approach yeah and if if yeah. if, if something doesn't Unfold mm-hmm. one way you can you, you, you can bounce back more quickly because you're not rigid and you can adjust and you can well I'll just try this thing and exactly. it's more likely that you're going to get somewhere that is for, is is closer to
1: um, what you create what you are desiring yeah yeah and it, and as you said like the playfulness it actually just makes it more fun and then yes. when you're having more fun you actually get to call more people in to join you if you're hating if you're <laughs> loving what you do but you hate the way you do it. Mm. there's a problem <laughs> like you're not going to be enjoying like if you're a baker and you love that you have these beautiful cakes on display but you hate baking them because you feel so stressed then that's an issue because it's going to stop you doing the work that you want to do long term mm-hmm. so you have to feel playful and joyful in how you do it and that's also why coming back to what we were talking about before but looking after yourself physically and mentally and emotionally is so that you have the space to feel playful like if you're stressed mm. and tired and exhausted and run down and burnt out It can be hard to feel light. (laughs) Very much so, yes. (laughs) You have to look after yourself too so that you can sit down at your desk and you can make tea and light a candle and open the window and put on some music and open that Word document and you actually feel really good and happy to be there. Mm. Yeah.
0: And to wrap up, I'm asking all guests this season two questions. Mm -hmm. So firstly, what advice do you have for any heart-centered, gentle folks who are thinking of starting a business?
1: So I would say, do it. (laughs) No, I would say, listen to what you need to do, not to me, but do what you need to do. And the one thing I would say that's really helpful is that if you have an idea for a business, don't, um, don't put pressure on it yet to replace whatever income you currently make, like let yourself do it part time or on the side And you don't have to completely replace it. Like you don't have to get to a place where your new business is completely replacing what you currently earn. Mm -hmm. But I find that if you put too much pressure on your new business or the new venture or the new art or the new creation straight away to make you money, Mm -hmm. then you're adding a lot of stress to something that could be really playful and light initially. So Mm -hmm. keep some form, even if it's two days a week of working somewhere else, just to pay the rent, you know, pay the rent, cover the bills. Mm -hmm. And it gives you space to work on the business, do that. But you don't need to be all or nothing. Like Mm. you actually can really find that middle ground where you're still working so that you can support yourself and working on this beautiful business that is calling your name and won't leave you alone.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's so wise. And Secondly, what advice do you have for any heart centered entrepreneurs who want to pivot their business in a new direction or kick off a new project but they might be feeling nervous about
1: doing so? So, I would say, why does being nervous mean you can't do it anyway? Yay! Yeah. <laughs> that is the answer. And in that, I'm basically saying, do it. Mm-hmm. Do it. But still listen to yourself, but yeah, like again, if you, if you're feeling no nerves and nothing, then it might not actually be important to you. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, that wasn't a very articulate sentence, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean.
0: (laughs) It's often like what you were saying before, the things that we care about deeply are the things that can make us feel afraid. So yeah. Follow that as a, as a compass. And finally, Cass, what are you working on in this season of your business?
1: So, i the book is probably top of my list to mm. so just to get it, to read it. <laughs> i'm very excited to have to yeah for it to be complete and out mm-hmm. um it'll be out sometime in 2019 so that's probably what i'm working on the most i am running uh, a live intensive day of love what you create which is really exciting that I haven't done it in this way before. So I usually either run it as like an online one month course or an in-person one day course. And what I'm doing this time is running it as, and this is also where we were talking before about ideas just coming and then like letting them land for a bit or sit for a bit and then working out the details. I have known for a few months that I wanted to run another round of love What you create, but I hadn't, I didn't, hadn't worked out what it would look like yet. And this one is going to be a full day, but online where I jump into our Facebook group at set times throughout the day. And then in between that, I give everyone time to go to the already pre-recorded modules, do that work and then come back and we kind of touch base. So it's an online intensive, but running it the same way I would if we were running it in person. And I'm really excited because I'm also, it's kind of testing it out again. It's an experiment, right? Like let's see if this works. But if that does work, it's an awesome way for me to run it when I have baby next year, because I don't need to spend a full day away. I can be at home maybe with husband in the back room, like looking up. So it's kind of an experiment and that's, and also in my life, I'm just getting ready to prepare for baby and buying things and working out like, you know, buying things for the nursery and for me and, not trying to plan ahead at anything in terms of business at all. Like all I know is the book will be out next year, but that's all I know. Mm. I'm not even planning how much time I'm taking off. I'm like, it'll be four to six months or more. Like I'm just mm. going to see what happens, but yeah, kind of planning as much as you can that this next stage of what life is. And yeah, those are my focuses right now.
0: That's awesome. I've got the biggest yeah. smile on my face here. <laughs>
1: all of that. And finally, how can people follow you online? so i'm on instagram at cassie mendoza jones all one word and my website also CassieMendozajones.com. i yeah all my the great thing as i said like my business is set up for me to be away from it so all my programs and courses will stay running while i'm on leave the only thing i don't know what will happen is my newsletter because i don't know how many emails i'll send out but I'll see how that goes. But otherwise, I've got lots of lovely free and fun things on my site as well as courses and programs and books are in bookshops and online. Um, and, yeah, otherwise I'm on Instagram most days, yes.
0: it's beautiful, Cass. And, yes, I vouch for your website and your beautiful freebies that you give away. They're so useful and so inspiring. So I highly recommend people check them out.
1: Thanks.
0: That was so awesome. I absolutely adored talking with you, Cass. Thank you for being on the show and for sharing all of your
1: heartfelt wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. I, yeah, I loved our chat so much and I'm, yeah, I'm so excited for people to listen to this one. And there we have it, the fourth episode of Season 1.
0: If you head over to nicolaneumann.com, you can find the show notes and links to where you can find Cass online. Until next time, be gentle with yourself, nurture your creativity and follow
1: your heart and I hope you have an awesome day ahead.